All right, guys, I'm going to kick us off, all right, because I know that we have miles to travel. Hi, everybody. I'm Will Fenton, Director of Research and Public Programs at the Library Company of Philadelphia. I suspect that many of you know the library company. You might have even done research or attended an actual in-person program at the library company. We are a research library originally founded by Benjamin Franklin in 1731. We've changed a little bit over the past um, 300 odd years. Now we are uh, fully committed to serving our researchers and we have lots of different kinds of researchers. And today we're gonna hear from uh, someone who isn't a research fellow per se, but who has uh, taken inspiration from our material, historical material in general, and found a really interesting creative way to bring it to life. This is also kind of an unusual fireside in the sense that it will be a little bit more conversational than usual. And we're joined by a special guest, one of the preeminent biographers of William Penn, just to help us uh, contextualize all of the, the artistic work that we're gonna be experiencing. So with that, it's my pleasure to introduce two gentlemen that are joining me today. First off, we have Jeff Thomas, a musician, composer, teacher, and producer working in the Philadelphia area. He worked in London while signed to EMI Records, composed music for theater and television, and toured Europe, performing his original piano composition. A lifelong resident of Pennsylvania, raised in the countryside of Wellsburg in the north central part of the state, Thomas has been an avid enthusiast of colonial American history since he found an arrowhead lodged in a rock while riding his horse Sundance through the heart of the Pennsylvania wilds as a mirror youth. Love that writing there, nice purple prose. His Stride 10 9 recording studio is located in Havertown, PA, where he records and produces jazz bands and world music direct to analog tape. We also have the distinct pleasure of welcoming uh, Dr. Andrew R. Murphy, Professor of Political Science at Virginia Commonwealth University, and notably the author of William Penn, A Life, published by Oxford University Press in 2018. Thank you both for joining me. Um, I think we were talking a little, about, uh, a little bit about this before we went live, but one of the things that's neat about this whole story behind this project is that this is a passion for Jeff, it just so happened that Jeff and Andrew had met each other at a library company event that was at the um, Art Street Meeting House uh, maybe a year ago. So it's a small world. Welcome. Yeah. Hi there. Yeah, I'm really excited that uh, Andy was able to join us. I'm going to plug his book. You should buy it. It's on Amazon. It's awesome. <laughs> it's called William Penn of Life. It's funny. I don't know if I told you this, Will. Yesterday when we were talking about it, I, your book is, and your book has been on my bookshelf over there. Uh, and I was thinking, I looked at, we were talking and I thought it would be, I looked over and I saw the book and I thought super cool if I could get this guy to chat with at some point. And then the next thing you saw, I hadn't said it and you. All you got to do is ask. It's like the highlight of my COVID. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty exciting. All you had to do is ask. <laughs> I was nervous. I was intimidated by your fame <laughs> uh yeah so really like i guess where i came to think of writing a choral piece on this on william penn i had initially been trying to think of something i could do to talk about uh pennsylvania um and where we came from and uh as a state and i had been thinking about doing it about farming I'm from a really small town uh, where there's lots of farming, and it's, it was it is an important part of the 
economy in the state, and it used to be an even bigger part of the economy. And farms have been dying all over the state for a while. You, I could travel around small towns and also address what's going on with our current uh, political situation. And then it was like an inroad to be able to talk about sports. And I had a gig down the street um, near a place called the Swedish Log Cabin. I just started to tell you this earlier. And it's one of the, it's in Darby. It's one of the oldest, uh, maybe the oldest log cabin in the United States. Uh, and it's still there. Um, and I went and checked it out. And I just started digging more into the history of Pennsylvania. And one thing led to another. And I landed on this letter that William Penn wrote to the Lenape Indians in 1681. And I thought I just changed my entire trajectory of the piece. I'd been, I actually had a lot written for this farming coral piece. Uh, and I just put the brakes on that. And I thought it would be great just to write a piece using the text, almost exactly the text. It's kind of, hey, Andy, can you, before I read the letter, can you talk just a little bit about it? Just what's going on and how, maybe how old you, what was just some of the circumstances? Sure, yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's as you say, it's a remarkable letter. Um, <clears throat> October, 1681 is the date. Um, just to give a very brief crash course in what had gone before, um, the first rec recorded petition we have of Penn um, seeking a colonial charter for Pennsylvania is May of eighteen, uh, May of sixteen eighty. Um, long series of negotiations ensues with various parties weighing in. He finally gets the charter in March of sixteen eighty one, and so that's then what five, six months, whatever. Um, so in between his receiving the charter in March of 1681 and writing this letter, um, it's, a, um, it's a flurry of activity. Um, he is 36, 37 years old, um, still quite the young, um, um, energetic, uh, young radical. Um, but he, he enters into this, and so he would, he would actually journey to Pennsylvania in this summer of 1682. So he's kind of midway between when he gets the colony and when he finally uh, departs England. Um, and this is just a, a blitzkrieg of, of activity. He's, he's trying to sell land. He's trying to plan the, the, the city uh, layout of Philadelphia. He's recruiting settlers. He's drafting constitutions. He's writing in correspondence to a variety of other of other people involved in the colonial enterprise. And so he's just doing all kinds of stuff. And the, the papers that are at the Library Company and the Historical Society, I mean, you have everything from long dozens of drafts of founding documents to very small receipts for, you know, five pounds sterling for 5,000 acres and, and everything in between. Um, so it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a fertile and a visionary time for him. He's really got a sort of aspiration for what he wants to be, what he wants the place to be. You've probably heard um, most of the folks who are with us tonight have heard the phrase um, seed of a nation and holy experiment. Um, a lot of debate over what that meant, but those phrases come from Penn's correspondence during this very same time. So it's really, it's really a very, uh, there's a lot of activity going on. Yeah. So I'm going to, um, read a bit of the letter and then I'll, I'll read a bit. I'll show, I'll put up on the screen what I ended up doing to get the text to work for the choral piece. Maybe I'll read a little bit of it here. He says that uh, my friends, there is one great God and power that has made the world and all things therein. 
to whom you and I and all people owe their being and well-being, and to whom you and I must one day give an account for all we do in this world. This great God has written his law into our hearts, by which we are taught and commanded to love and help and do good to one another, and not to harm and mischief one unto another. Hey, Will, where was the part that you said, uh, the consent part? Where is that down here? Is it the second paragraph? He's talking about how he's basically writing this to the Lenape, right? But there's... Right. And he, he basically is saying, he, he, I mean, he can't think that they're going to get this. Does he? Does he think anyone's going to read this? I, I, I've been confused by that. I haven't heard an answer on that. You know, is he thinking, yeah, these Lenape folks are going to love yeah. this letter I've written to them. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at your document right now, which is a little bit smaller on my oh, trying to find Yeah. It. Well, he, he talks about wanting their consent, right? But, but in the letter, but the point is he doesn't really get it and whether or not he would have done it, he would have continued on with this. His project is probably. Yeah. So, so, so writing about the province and, you know, he, he's, he's talking about the Pennsylvania province and what will be the Pennsylvania province. He says, but I desire to enjoy it with your love and consent. All so right. this is land that is, uh, you know, ostensibly been bequeathed to him by the king, but he's you still know. asking for it consent whether or not he's being fully you know um uh, honest here about whether he expects consent or whether you know right. he'd actually turn away if they were said if uh, if uh, the delaware leader no we're not getting your consent i want to play a little bit in a second but really the point i was writing about this was i just like the fact that he was a, a peacenik activist really in one way in a time where that was not that popular as you know and he was trying to create this place where people would be treated fairly. I, that, I mean, I know there's, there's lots of other things, but I thought his, his vision as a 36-year-old was pretty great. He paid for it a lot by going to jail often, you know, for his worldview. So I then took the letter, it's kind of long, um, and I broke into sections and the green thing to, I don't know, let's see, I started, there's one great God, uh, and I'm just going to play the intro. Is that okay? Let me play that a little bit. Oh, by the way, this is a totally demo form. Uh, it's me singing to the parts and uh, a really amazing singer from Philly named Katie Avery. And a, uh, she's a soprano and an alto. Um, and then an amazing tenor named Dan Taylor. So they came and they helped. My, my goal by this point was to have been starting performing it. That was the whole thing. And now... I haven't, you know, because of this thing, no musicians are actually really getting together. Hmm. So I haven't put it together. I just have the demo version. Let's see. There is one great God that has made the world and all things therein, therein. There is one great God there is one great God. There is one great God. There is one God. There is one. There is one great God. There is one great God. There is one great. There is one. There is one God. There is one God. There is one great. There is one 
religious adherence, you were likely to find yourself in, in jail for any number of reasons. Um, the tower was kind of like the, you know, the big jail, right? So um, there's, there, the, the, I couldn't, I don't know enough about the details um, to know whether specifically he was put there for a particular reason. I just don't know that. But um, yeah, this was in sort of the, I'm sorry. He was enough of an activist to get, I'm saying, I guess what I've been, as I've been researching this, I wonder, did not have to be a big deal? You just get thrown in the tower for saying anything on the street corner? Or was this a, wow, that, that was a pretty big deal for anyone? Well, he, yeah, so, well, he was, um, his, 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 his various imprisonments came about either through his writing or his speaking. And so um, they tended, you know, sort of as a result of public, he wrote a book that was uh, considered to be blasphemous. That landed him in the tower. A couple years later, he was very famously arrested for, um, for preaching in the street, unauthorized preaching. And that was the, um, the, uh, the prosecution that really made him a, a, a superstar, even though he had a famous name. Um, the jury refused to. Um, and was he preaching? Was it just basically be peaceful? Is that the, is that the main gist of what he would have been as a Quaker at the time? Would he have been well, he, you know, it's interesting. And this, I often encounter this when I talk to, to Quaker meetings, um, sort of contemporary Quaker meetings, that the, the notion of what, it, of what it would have looked like to be a Quaker in the 17th century is, is of course, there are continuities. But, but in terms of style, maybe you might say, um, the, the early Quakers were, were quite, um, quite passionate in their in sort of denunciation mode. Um, they were fond of interrupting uh, Anglican church services, denouncing priests um, during the middle of their sermons, um, uh, sort of calling down judgment on, on, uh, on people. So this was a very disruptive, contentious, in-your-face group. We think of peace testimony, of course, the peace testimony was there from, from the beginning about bearing weapons and so on. Um, but but in terms of their their sort of interpersonal style, they were they were quite willing to mix it up. Yeah, and I I am gonna jump in there just really quickly and add that you know like I think the Quakerism that we uh, contemporary audiences think about is sort of the Quakerism that's forged in the 18th century, the Quietist mm -hmm. Quakers. Yeah, the, the Quakers of the 17th century, and we're at the tail end here, are uh, much more emotive, much more disruptive. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Hence the term, you know, Quakers. They're quaking in light. <laughs> It's a visceral thing, you know? So it's a different, a different group of friends. You know, and Quaker, meet, Quaker meetings can go on for hours. I mean, hours of, of just emotive speaking, as, as Will's talking about. Well, you know, also in writing this, one thing I've been thinking a lot about is talking about where, we, where our state came from is, you know, um, what I often feel, well, you and I talked about this a while ago, right? I often feel like we Americans tend to it's so bent out of shape, right? So something happens in Arizona or something happens in Portland or elsewhere. Whereas we think, you know, we really could make some serious change in our state if we got that bent out of shape as, as Penn was getting, marching to Harrisburg en masse, you know? We could make some serious dents in how we want our state to be. And I, that's one thing I was finding interesting. Like he was willing to be such a pain in the neck of the authorities that he would go to jail for it. I thought that was kind of, an, you know, an interesting, and so I thought it was interesting considering the next section, I'm going to play it um, in his letter is the part that is to, um, you know, we have to, at the end of time, when, at the end of the world, at the end of, end of our lives, we have to give an account to everything we've done. 
So then he starts to say later that he thinks that what that means is to be friendly and peaceful and just. Uh, so the next section is just the second section of the letter to whom you and I and all people owe their being and well-being to whom you and I must one day give an account for all that we do in this world and this here. To whom you and I and that's Dan Taylor singing. One of the things I love about seeing it this way, Jeff, because I had just heard the compiled version when you were oh. first talking about this project, but seeing yeah. it in Pro Tools, seeing the eight different tracks really gives you a sense of the complexity of um, this whole project. Yeah, you know, it's funny that um, just speaking of that, I went through a lot of just the creative process of it. I went through a lot of stages where I mainly um, do rock and roll stuff, and I've written choral pieces and classical piano pieces, but taking on a giant project um, like this, uh, this song's 20 minutes long. I'm not going to play 20 minutes, but it's, the first section is 20 minutes. And so uh, I went down a couple different roads of how I was going to score it out. Did I not score it first? And I ended up scoring the whole thing uh, by, but you know, Pro Tools, being able to do recording in Pro Tools, as, ever, as you can see, you know, it is definitely adds something to just when you're writing things, you can you can sort of depend on what the audio looks like, right? You can see it as it's going by. It's an interesting way to create it. You know? um, I, think, uh, I, I think the next question, we talked about a lot of stuff. Um, maybe what I should do is just play the next part, and then we can talk about the next section uh, a little bit. And I'll, is that okay? Do you have anything you want to say? No, I'd like to hear more of the of the piece. Right. So this is the next section here. Is um, I his the next part of his his um, letter? He says. Or else, what would the and I? I'm just skipping over this part. I have this in the choral piece. Uh, or else, what would the great God say to us, who has made us not to devour us, who has made us to live together? 
kindly together together in this world. And so then that section I decide I'm choosing to play right now is I'm very sensible of the unkindness and injustices exercised towards you by people of these parts of the world who have sought to make great advantages by you and who cause animosities towards you, sometimes to the shedding of blood. I think I have that whole thing. So what am I here? Uh, Very sensible of the unkindness and injustices exercised towards you by people of these parts of the world who have sought to make great advantages by you and who cause animosities towards you and who cause animosities towards you, towards you, towards you, sometimes to the shedding of blood. 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 Shedding of blood. To the 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 shedding of blood. Question I have, Andy. I don't know if you know this, but I guess what I've been wondering is. Why was he so interested in the Delaware, the Lenape people, writing this letter to them? I mean, I was reading earlier that um, the New Jersey section, what is it, West Jersey, was bought mm -hmm. first by the Quakers mm -hmm. years before. Yeah. Uh, and the Lenape, that was their whole territory. And so obviously the Lenape were here. So I know that in, like, in the Virginia, Province territory uh, and New England, they've been having problems with uprising with native peoples. Is that true? There had been a lot of mm -hmm. issues with those colonies. So oh, I yeah. guess was he just saying, "Look, I would." Was he? I guess he had to have been aware of that. I'm, you know. Yeah, one. Of, you talked about his activism earlier. One of the the real um, pieces of his activism in England was as a member of the Meeting uh, for Sufferings, which was. Quaker um, group that was charged with um, uh, gathering all the sort of stories of persecution and so on. And so a lot of what that involved for Penn was writing. Um, there's lots of correspondence to places like Barbados, um, New England, Maryland, um, and, uh, and sort of gathering the treatment of Quakers there. And in the process of doing that, he certainly became fairly knowledgeable about the status. And, and everyone kind of knew what, I mean, New England had been there for going on 50 years now. And there was a King Philip's War, which was in the mid 1670s, was a, was a terribly destructive war. Um, so he was pretty well informed um, about sort of the colonial landscape. Um, certainly knew that the New England Puritans had been um, harshly, had harshly punished Quakers themselves, as, all, as well as um, engaged in some real, some real genocidal behavior. and and, and to wants to separate his aspirations from from those. Yeah. Can I can I jump in there because this raises I think a really interesting point because so often when we're thinking about Penn we're thinking about it as an origin story. We think about it because of the right. graving or the yeah. you know uh, that the, the, the sort of beginning of the peaceable kingdom. And yeah. um, I think what's interesting about this letter is it gestures. <laughs> a history that often doesn't get rolled into that origin story because he's saying um, I am sensible 
that there have been injustices committed by people of these parts, not the people in Virginia, not the people in New England, but the people in so it imagines English folk. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I mean, I, I, I'm curious, Andy, if you could talk a little bit about who is in the Pennsylvania area, this region, before PennCon. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> right, sure. And I was the reason I kept looking to my side here. I was looking to see whether Gene Soderlund's book was. In oh yeah. My office. I think it's in my office, which means I, it's all locked down. I can't get to it. But Gene <laughs> Soderlund's book, uh, Lenape Country, is oh. the. To, I can't I can't praise that book and it, it, I don't know how to put a link in the chat we do that um, Gene Soderlund's book which came out four or five years ago uh, at the most it's quite recent um, called Lenape Country um, uh, Delaware Valley before William Penn so Penn comes in at about chapter five or six um, you have a long um, uh, history of a 50 60 year history of um, Dutch Swedes Finns English, um, Germans, there's a, there's a, and, and part of the argument of, of um, the Soderlund book is that this creates a kind of um, polyglot, eclectic uh, population of Europeans with whom the, the Lenape come to a certain kind of detente or a modus vivendi or something um, focused a lot on trading relationships and so on. Um, and so uh, I, I can do, best I can do is refer people to that book because it's, it's, it's a, it's a one, not only is it a wonderful book, it's, it's rather um, easily, easily, it's an accessible book and it's just packed with information. So, and there's a whole range, and this is part of the Dutch, the Dutch are in charge of this, hold this for a while, and the English take it back, as we mentioned earlier. Um, well, it's so crazy. a lot yeah. going on. Yeah, and I said that that's when, like, uh, uh, when I saw the Swedish log cabin, and then I was, I was like, right. I, I really didn't know. I mean, I knew the Swedes, well, we have lots of names that are Swedish names around here, right? Exactly. And I, I just, and I knew that the Swedes had been here, but I didn't realize they'd been here for 50 years before. Starting and some of them are, are then brought on by Penn as uh, translators for the Lenape because uh, they actually have been involved in these trading relationships. Yeah. Like, uh, and then, yeah, the, the uh, Swedes are here and they get beat out by the Dutch. So then that's part of the people that are in Pennsylvania, right? Did the Dutch have a big presence in Pennsylvania at that point? Yeah, I mean, especially because Pennsylvania originally included what we now know of as Delaware, right? Those were called the lower counties. And yeah. those were, um, those were a, a, a sort of, again, a, a, a multi-European, multi-ethnic kind of European um, polyglot set of yeah. settlements. I, I um, was... Um, Talking to Curtis Zeniga, who is the, I guess he's the, the tribal historian for the Lenape in Oklahoma. So and yes, he's, he's with the Delaware tribe down in Delaware. But, but he's also the co-director of the Lenape Center based in Manhattan. Okay. Um, and he gave me a statistic that said in 1524, they estimate that there was between 15,000 and 20,000 Lenape people living in this general area. Yeah. And then they say by 1776, there was a census and they know there was between three or 4,000 of them left. And then by 1869, they know there were 985 left. Yeah. So it, there was, it leaves, you, it leaves you speechless. Well, and I was think about it, like the fact that like, what is it, what's this statistic that um, when William, Penn, I mean, uh, when Benjamin Franklin came to 
Philadelphia the first time there was like 2,000 people, something like that. Not a lot of people, yeah. less people that, that went to my college, my first college. Um, but 20,000 native people living here, down to 985. It's, it's a big, you know, it's a yeah. big loss. Um, so, yeah, I did think that was interesting that I that he was um, writing directly to these people that were here, that knowing what the whole culture had been up until the time he became the pro proprietor of the state. Will, did you say something earlier when we were chatting that I thought was interesting that he he it wasn't his to he wasn't his to be given to, right? Is that is that what right? What? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, it wasn't his. You know? That's why he's asking for their love and consent, because <laughs> there's a tacit acknowledgement there that maybe they don't actually own this land in the way that the king envisioned it. And yeah. I think one of the things that's powerful about your composition is that you encompass that shift towards um, uh, that broken promise, because yeah. there's this very sort of optimistic ideology that undergirds the first half of what uh, you've played for us. But then... Yeah you've managed to integrate into this letter the part that doesn't live up to that promise. Let me share the screen again, and I'll play the next section. It's just, there's, it's, um, what do I do with it? It is the part that says, oh, it's just in the letter, he's saying all this, uh, he knows that uh, people have taken a lot of advantage of you and have treated you badly and, shed your blood and then he says i thought his his word here this has made the great god angry was pretty interesting so i'm gonna i wrote the section here for that Let's see this has pretty excited about getting this to be performed with a big group of people singing it you know uh, it's been fun this this whole putting this presentation was fun for me because um uh it's just been living in my computer you know for, for a little while now since everything's been shut down and it was fun. it's been fun to revisit it um one thing i thought was interesting too is in his in his letter his resolution He's resolving to live peacefully. He says, and a part that I don't have, but I'm not playing for you, it's in the choral piece. He says, this has made all, we know all these people have treated you this way, but I'm not such a man. I have great love and regard towards you. I desire to win and gain your friendship by a kind, just, and peaceful life. Peaceable life, he says. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting because I can really, um, I guess it's easy to romanticize some things, but you know, the time period, it was um, uh, October, right? I just lost that when that was. It was cold and damp and dreary, you know, maybe in London, rainy. And he's writing this. He's been beaten up a lot by being thrown in jail, and he still has this singular vision to say to these people. I, he, what I thought is interesting is that he's writing it from a personal 
perspective, he has also been treated poorly, right? He's been abused. He's very privileged. Maybe, you know, uh, and so I thought that he actually feels, it sounds to me like he has a lot of empathy and isn't just trying to say, how can I make a lot of money out of this thing? Where that does enter into it though, doesn't it? I mean, that is a part of it. He's saying how I would, I'd be psyched if I got rich off this and pay off some family debts. But I also think it's complicated because I think he really didn't, he didn't need to write the letter, right? So I think he was a 37 year old that really felt these things. One of the things that he has in July, he, so he writes the state constitution. And um, one of the things that he says in it in July 11, 1681, it's a document setting the conditions for purchasing land. It says, uh, 13thly, that no man shall by any ways or means in word or deed affront or wrong any Indian, but he shall incur the same penalty of the law as if he committed against a fellow planter. And 14thly, that all differences between the planters and the natives shall also be ended by 12 men, that is six planters and six natives. Fifteenthly, hmm. that the Indians shall have liberty to do all things relating to the improvement of their ground and providing sustenance for their families that any of the planters shall enjoy. Hmm. I thought that was a pretty, he's thought a lot about it. He has all, the, and that was the other thing. It's like interesting. They are saying that uh, you know, he's taking a lot of his, taking a lot of information right from John Locke and he's also saying um, we want the uh, constitution to be amendable right so he's able to say we want it to change not be the same when we come up with new ideas I thought that was pretty interesting too right it's kind of a radical idea on that is that I think that's what I was getting out of that I was reading about this through the mm -hmm. day would that have been a radical idea in 1681 that there's yeah. mm-hmm thought that was interesting. And I just thought that then there's lots of other points where he's saying directly what he wants to, how he thinks the native people should be treated. Yeah. Um, as I am wrapping up the piece, things aren't going to go well for the <laughs> native peoples, even though it, you know, I, I was talking to Curtis about this and I asked him what his opinion of William Penn was. And because you see how much you see a lot of writing about how the Quakers are really, or not Quakers, but well, not they really respected Penn, and and I thought his point was well taken. He's like, well, at yes, knowing that it was some white guy who just was taking over their land, you know, and that's a good, good point. I don't know why I hadn't really thought about them that way. You know, they weren't just getting along; they were getting along because the Lenape and the Quakers had a lot of similar ideas, but also. Well, not they weren't of the mind to just go wipe all these people out, I suppose. That happens ominously later after Penn dies, and we'll talk about that at the end of the walking purchase at the beginning. Indian, bad Indian relations. So um, the next section I thought I would play is his resolution. And Jeff, while you're queuing up um, Penn's resolution, um, I would just encourage all of you listening in, if you have a question that you want us to engage, use the Q&A feature. You can type it whenever you want, and we'll make sure that we set aside at least a few minutes to, um, to, to really engage it before we leave. I thought since we had like 15 minutes, I would play this resolution. My resolution is to live justly, friendly, and peaceably with you. Then I'll just go right to the next section where he, he signs off saying, I am your friend, William Penn. Uh, and I'll talk about that before I 
get to it. So here's just the my re it's just short my resolution section. So then he signs off, and I think I'll play a bit of it, more of it than I was going to, because we have some time. Uh, but what ends up happening as you're listening along, he basically would, how I've written, this is the very end uh, of the piece. A lot of the stuff I've written out, I mean, left out for the this thing is um, some of the big explosive sections. Uh, it was just a lot to mix with Pro Tools and make it sound good in speakers. Uh, so I didn't play a lot of it sound. There's some really, really big sections uh, with a lot of clashing chords. Um, and I just, I didn't do that. But the ending part where he talks about I am your friend, I really wanted to evoke the fact that he feels it, but it's got to be ominous because it ends tragically, like I said. Um, so I thought maybe I would do that, and then we can talk a little bit about the walk Um So this is just the I am your friend section here. Maybe I'll just do from here. tension at the end. Can't hear it. The piano is is um quiet there, but the piano's playing an E major chord the entire time and the choir is changing I'm sorry, the choir is singing E major chord variation of that while the piano is changing chords the whole time until it ends up on an E major chord at the end. And it, I think it's a decent amount of tension because um just 25 or so years after it, one of the biggest land swindles, they say, in American history happened uh, via the Penn Sons by taking, well, not by, by using fake deed uh, to rip off 
one million two hundred thousand. Is it one? But it's a is it big number? It, one million two hundred thousand. How many acres is it? Oh, it's yeah, Andy. Can you talk a little bit about what, what follows this letter? I mean, like, what is yeah. happening in Pennsylvania between 1681 and 1737? Well, he's, he's not there nearly as long as he expects to be. Um, and the, uh, again, whether or not it was a realistic aspiration um, that, he, that he articulated in the letter, um, given the fact that he's only there for four years total over the rest of his life, um, place develops in ways that are really kind of um, beyond his control. Um, his, his, um, uh, his secretary, James Logan, who does stay there, gets fabulously wealthy um, by, land, by speculating in, on land. Um, and then engineers with um, Penn's sons, this walking purchase that, that Jeff was just talking about in 1737, which is, as I think you used the word, a swindle. It's, it's nothing more than a swindle. Um, and it's... Uh, it doesn't come out of nowhere. There's there's sort of indications of this, um, uh, but but it's you know that's a it, the the place develops um, in lots of ways um, because he's just not there. Right. It's one million two hundred thousand acres that they take um, from the Lenapes, and just to touch base on that, the walking purchase is uh, they said uh, the pens and negotiated with the Lenape that they could add on to the property that they owned of Pennsylvania uh, by the amount of time you could walk in a day and a half. Yep. So they, for, they forged, basically forged a purported treaty right. that had engaged in with some, you know, basically it's a, it's a forgery. Um, yeah. That's why it's so, called the Yeah. That's why it's called <laughs> yeah. Well, so but my, what I'm hoping to do, what my goal is, after I'm uh, after everything opens up again, is that to have this in three parts. This is the letter. The next section is the walking purchase that I've been working on a text with a really great poet uh, who teaches at Seton Hall named Mark Svenhold. Um, and then I'm doing a Lenape response to it. Um, and I had been trying to figure out. It took me a while to land on the walking purchase. Purchase. It's such a big deal. Uh, I mean, what my next section was going to be. And then the walking purchase just changed so many things uh, with relationships with Lenape. And, you know, it just really, really sent things downhill. Um, the goal is for this whole thing is to be able to finish it and then have exactly what we're doing right now, have it being performed in churches or communities, smaller communities, and have a discussion that happens. And because I think it's an amazing part of our history as Pennsylvanians, as the country too. And like you said earlier, Will, it's like so much gets focused on what happens in the Revolutionary War uh, in Pennsylvania and Philadelphia, but it's pretty amazing stuff as you've written in your book, William Kind of Life, Andy. Uh, um, uh, some amazing things that happen, of course, beforehand, and it's worth us knowing as Pennsylvanians, I think, to know where we came from. That's part of my, that's a, a big, goal here is to just figure out how to reach more people uh, or explain to people what this message was that William Penn, his vision for the state was. Um, and I think it's a good one. I think something we could still would be great to hear to or go back to if we can somehow figure that out, you know? So Jeff, we, 
um, have a few questions, one of which we've already sort of started to entertain. One is, um, I'm going to go a little out of order, folks. So uh, Richard Fortman brings us back to the walking purchase. He said, uh, did the walking purchase represent an unusual departure by and sons from the spirit of their father, or were they ruthless business people, or just generally ruthless throughout their life? That might be a good question for Andy. That is a good question. Well, well, that, uh, go ahead. I've been wondering the same thing, actually. Well, they sound pretty ruthless because they were totally in debt, right? So they were like, how yeah. do we get out well, of Well, I guess, I mean, that would depend who you ask, right? I mean, if they, um, yeah. but the, the, they were ruthless. Um, uh, Logan, who I mentioned before, was, was ruthless. And Logan's job was to represent William Penn's interests in Pennsylvania. Um, The sons, I would say, uh, it's safe to say, had less personal investment in the place. Um, you know, the, the, obviously their father had, had, had sort of dream, you know, dreamed the thing into existence, uh, lobbied to get the charter, everything came over. Um, but then even, even so, he was, he was so um, absent from the place yeah. that the, the kinds of tensions and conflicts that, that you know whether or not he would have been able to diffuse them were he here is just sort of a question no one knows. Um, something that I'm going to jump in for a second. Something that I had been really looking for, and you might know how to if I can find this, is for the walking purchase. In response to Richard's former question, is that um, is there writing from the Penn brothers saying, "Man, we really pulled this off." I, I haven't been able to find any writing that says that because you know. It, I, that would, I, I, I just don't know the answer. I, sus, I suspect that there's not anything quite so quite so bald as you've suggested. Um, yeah. But it was some, it was simply the way they operate. I mean, that was the way they operate. Um, and in fact, what you would often get the uh, the native uh, leaders rebuking the Penn sons by by invoking their father. Um, you know, you, your father would be ashamed of you if you could see this. And there was that kind of rhetoric that happened after the walking purchase. Again, whether that's how accurate that is, it's just really impossible to know. And I mean, the, 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 the sons are quite tactical about evoking the memory of Brother Onus, William Penn, oh, yes. as they are seeking to validate whatever claim they're making. So um, they are, they're very aware of their father's reputation and they leverage yeah. it. As they right. Up. And we have a couple of questions that bring us back to the sort of artistic aspect here, Jeff. Mm -hmm. These are questions for you. Uh, Jeanette Frank asks, when completed and performed by a full chorus, Will this be a cappella or accompanied by a piano? Yeah, good question. Um, it, I'm, it's going to be accompanied by just the piano. It's the mostly it's a cappella. Uh, the piano is pretty low in the mix. Uh, um, it's mostly going to be a cappella, though. I feel like uh, there's. I was trying to do it all a cappella, but just some sections really neat. I felt like a piano pushing. Piano is such an awesome instrument because it's melodic and rhythmic and harmonic, and it really I felt like it needed something pushing the tempo forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's going to be a piano involved with that. Right now, I'm thinking, um, and the way it's structured is that there are parts that just a pen character will pen one lone voice. You hear with Dan at times, and, and, um, that it's just going to be piano and pen talking and then the choir comes in yeah. at the moment I'll, i was just thinking i would probably when we're playing this out be the piano player because it's easy to do but yeah 
Yeah, and Jeff has generously offered to at least uh, share some excerpts of what we just heard today after the fact. So when we follow up with that email that includes the recording of this particular session, we can give you some clips of this of this section as it currently stands. And right now it's written for, um, it's four parts, uh, but there are often uh, 12 different voices that can happen. My father, really great if I could have a 16-person choir. It just gets really expensive uh, pretty fast because uh, we're all working musicians and amazing musicians I want to hire, you know? So I've been thinking about trying to pare it down. <laughs> but um, yeah, a small, a smaller choir could be done by eight voices. Great. So I'm going to stick in this vein. I'm going to give the last question to Arden Thomas, who says, um, I'm curious to hear from Jeff about the style of music he'll use for the Lenape response. Will it be, how will it be different from the first section? That's my sister Arden. Hi, Arden, out in California. <laughs> she didn't know I was doing this. I think she's totally surprised. I, that's a good question, Arden. Um, I've really struggled with that, actually. I, I've been working with Mark Svenvold poet, um, I said, it teaches Stephen Hall to do a sort of punk version of the walking purchase in more like a rock and roll sort of way, which would be pretty cool, actually. Um, I've been, I, so I've written the music and the melody for that, and I am debating on whether or not I would do it more like a punk song with the text, you know, with the, with the words that way, just because why I asked Andy if there was any actual um, writing from the Penn brothers about this is I've been hoping just to use text from someone, the person that was there, you know, writing from there. So I'm not just adding my, one thing that's been amazing about this whole thing, never having done anything like this from a historical perspective is uh, how I started realizing that everything I do is putting my personal bent on it. I went down a bunch of rabbit holes of feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm just only presenting my side. How would you even write a book like this? I don't know. You know, I did a lot of like, just my 20 minute piece, I, I did a lot of like struggling with that. Uh, right now, the walking pushes section could be punk songy, but keeping in the mode of the eight um, choir, eight person choir, I have already written a whole chunk of it that is very rhythmic because these people are supposed to be doing a walking pace the whole time. They, the pens hire three runners, walkers, and they basically run the, basically walk as fast as they can. And the Lenape are saying, hey, you were supposed to be walking. What is going on here? There's a lot of comments that have been written from first person, people that were there saying the Lenape were just disgusted. And by the end, there was just one of them left. And I wanna, it's very, it's gonna be like, I have a big section that just sounds like people are out of breath. Because one guy dies, right? Like I'm forgetting the name. John Marshall, the guy, Edward Marshall, the guy who finally makes it, uh, uh, is, you know, exhausted by the end. The person dies a couple of weeks debilitated for, the, debilitated for the rest of his life. So they were really chugging along, you know, to get this property. So that's the next section. Thanks, Arden. 
Well, thank you both. This has been such a privilege and it's exactly the kind of um, uh, collaborative um, sort of uh, cross bound or boundary crossing work that I love to see because you've brought us together. You've got a historian here, you've got myself in the fellowship program, and then of course we've got a musician all working together around a common subject matter. And I just love to see the library company acting as uh, sort of the the hub of that inquiry. So um, thank you, Jeff, for sharing these nascent compositions. And thank you, uh, Andy, for uh, your expertise, as always. My thank pleasure. You, yeah, and thanks, thank for you. Giving, thanks for giving me the chance, Will. That was really great. I had a great time. I'd never done anything like this with Zoom. I was nervous about the technology, but I... <laughs> Yes, and thank you all of you for joining us on a Thursday night. It is a privilege, and I encourage you to come back same time, same place, your living room. Next Thursday, we'll welcome Carol Adrian, who's going to be talking about the making of her documentary series, Civil War Medicine. I hope you'll join us. Thank you. Thanks, Andy. Thank you. Thanks, everybody.